Welcome to the Movie Heaven, Movie Hell uh, podcast extra. Uh, I'm Simon Aiken. And I'm and, and I'm Keith Arnolds. <laughs> and, 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 and we've rehearsed, as you can see. <laughs> or here. Uh, yeah, we, we might get this right. By yeah. the way. So we've been talking about this for a bit and uh, finally it's here. I hope you've done your homework. We're going to talk about our very first short films. Uh, which in my case is the short film Firepower. Yeah, and in my case is a short called Overpass. Indeed. So we have both watched each other's film, even though we probably haven't before. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I absolutely. I watched yours, um, in fact, today, and I hadn't seen it before. But um, Yes, yeah. I, I can say the same thing as well. So uh, I thought the best way to do it is if, Maybe we start off asking each other a question. So, um, uh, Keith, um, um, watching the film, um, it, it felt um, that there was a, it was very much like a lot of short films I've seen, especially around that time, because funny enough, we made our first short films at the same time, 99. Oh, right. Okay. And yeah. Um, so, um, did you have much say over, say, the the music and the editing? Because it, it, it felt kind of... I, I have to say, I wasn't a big fan of the music in it. Oh, right. Okay. Um, uh, the, there was way too much of it. And it just kind of... Of that kind of... You know, kind of uh, perky, pinky kind of thing where uh, I don't think that was kind of what you were after. Or was it what you were after? Right. Okay. Um well, I suppose to, to, to give it all a little bit of context, um, it, uh, the, the way this came around was uh, I'd already mentioned about, you know, film school, living in America, and I graduated all of that, and that was all done with. Um, what, I, what I did then um, was I actually got a job um, working at the, at the college and the film program. Um, what happened was one of the ways I could legally earn money uh, whilst I was out there was to work on campus. So what what I did is I got my, um, we had three production trucks uh, at the college. We had a, 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 a an electric production truck. Um, we had a, a grip production truck, which also towed the, the generator. And we had a yeah. camera stroke production truck, which um, had a dark room and things of that nature in it. So one of the things I did is they trained me and I got my commercial driving license when I lived out there. So what that meant was I could drive to the various sets, uh, the various films that we shot and sort of got paid, you know, for being there on education um, through doing the driving to and from set. So um, can I ask, did you get paid a lot? Uh, no, I mean, it was it was it was kind of like a by the hour and it was, you, you know, fairly minimum wage but hey it helped right. you know what i mean it was it was it was and plus i did a, a scholarship thing as well where i put in some extra credit hours to get some of my um international tuition reimbursed but you know that that's that's a long story that i don't want to bore, yeah. bore you with now I, um i just want to i just wanted to ask because there is always that misconception that uh when you're working over in the states on a film that you get paid very well for even doing a very menial job on a film yeah so i was just curious to know 
if it was the case this now this time. this was this was essentially an on-campus job but like i said the yeah. the, the the beauty was um you, you know they they obviously paid for me to get my commercial driver's license and all that stuff and um uh yeah you know i i had to be there anyway so i may as well drive and get paid what to be there so anyway so i'd done all of that and i'd graduated the film program and that was over and what happened was um you know i really wanted to to direct something i wanted to get on and and, and make something had a guy done a lot of crew positions at this point had worked on a lot of stuff which we discussed in previous podcasts and um you know, I wanted to shoot something. And what Ralph would often do would be between the feature projects, um, we'd do a short. All right. Yeah. So there was a there was a window um, of opportunity that he said to me. It wasn't a big window. It was just like a, a couple of weeks of prep and a couple of days or nights of shooting. But there, were, there was a window. And he said, look, if you want to do it, you can use the new class, you know, the the – the, the, I was the class of 98. I could use the class of 99, yeah, to be my to be my crew um, on this. And the, the, the thing is, I always, again, I always say this when I talk about making films, it's when you've got no money or whatever, it's the three L's. So it's, it's location, logistics, and lunch, you know, are the, are the three things that you usually have to spend some money on, right? Um, so yeah. essentially, you know, I got the use of all the equipment at the college, you know, these three production trucks with all that comes with them um, and the use of the class, which was about 30 people, I think, approximately. Um, but obviously I had to uh, feed everyone and I had to pay for all the film and, the, you know, the associated costs. So yeah. what happened was um, I'd done one of the shorts that I'd done previously that year um, that I'd first AD'd on, uh, the DOP on that was an Australian guy. He was a bit older, but we had quite a banter. You know, there was the whole, he was the Brit and I, uh, sorry, I was the Brit and he was the Aussie. And, you know, there was a little bit of banter going on. And, and he, he had a very good attitude, a, a sort of, um, you, you know, can-do attitude. And uh, we, we helped this, this director make this, this short film and got on quite well. So I spoke to him about it and he said, look, if you want to do this, um, he said, I will DOP for you free of charge if you agree to AD a project that I've got further down the track. OK, so we came up with that agreement, that gentleman's agreement, uh, and he agreed to come on board to light this for me. Um, Can I just ask, did you go on to first AD his project? I did. Yeah, that's a whole nother story. But yes, I did. Um, okay. So, so no, I kept my end of the bargain, you know, um, as, as I would. But this, this guy was called Jonathan Nixon. And sadly, over the years, I've, I've lost contact with him. He lives in L.A. or last I knew yeah. he lived in, in L.A. Um, but, you know, uh, he, he knew his stuff in terms of, of lighting, old, old school DOP stuff he knew. Right. So what yeah. I did is I, I, I um, obviously I, I paid for myself to get out to film school and whatever. Uh, I think to be fair, my mum and dad um, helped me a little bit with some money to to uh, to make this film. Um, I could yeah. only afford uh, 10 rolls of film and I bought it was it oh, was okay. Kodak Vision stock. OK, it was new at the time, the Vision stock. It was uh it was quite good at working in, in low lighting conditions. Oh, right. I remember. I remember the vision stock films, yeah. It was six sixteen mil, so obviously I shot this um four to three, you know, 
ratio or whatever. Um, 16 mil film. And I had access. This was shot on uh, an Aeroflex uh, SR3 camera. I had two of them. Um, yeah. And the DOP brought along. He, he also had some Aton lenses and things of that nature. I just want to say that I remember the uh, Ari SR3, which was like the newer of the cameras because a lot of the productions I worked on 16mm had all been SR2s. Right. If anything, the SR2 was generally the kind of workhorse of 16mm. Of but, uh, but yeah, it's very nice to be working with uh, a newish camera. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at the time, um, you, you know, this this was, as I said, the college was, was fairly well equipped and, uh, hmm. you know, I had access to that. The, the, the big issue was going to be you know, what the fuck was I actually going to film? Because at this point, um, I'd done the film course, which, as I said, was largely technical. It was largely uh, about working practices on set and the nuts and bolts of film production. There was a little bit of pre-production stuff involved and a little bit of post-production, but largely it, it wasn't, it didn't deal with development or distribution or any of that sort of thing. Uh, I'd also done a production management course, which was a, a side course that I'd done at the time. And I'd done a basic script writing course. I obviously went on to do more of that. But um, so I had to come up with something and, and I only had a very small window to do this. So and at the time, I didn't feel particularly confident about writing anything myself. Um, I have obviously since done that on, on all of my other films that I've made. Can I just ask, because I did notice that... Um... Was it this film that made you decide to write your own stuff? Right. Well, what it was, um, uh, you know, one of my thoughts was often um, directors, and I mean, when I talk about directors, I'm talking about, you know, working directors in the industry. I mean, with it, with exceptions, you know, with the Christopher Nolans and whatever, but often a director is hired to direct somebody else's work. I mean, we've talked about it here with Hitchcock, even though he gets, you know, um, you know, involved in the actual writing process. It's obviously an uh, usually an adaptation of a of a book or a play or something, right? Well, in this case, what had happened is I think I mentioned on a previous podcast we did a year of theatre studies before we did the film program. It was part of the structure. That's right. Yeah. And I actually worked at the theatre that they had on campus at the time, anyway. And one of the one of the classes we did was intro to theatre. And what it meant was one of the projects we had to do one term is we were in groups of four and we had to essentially somebody had to write a, a one act play, you know, a 10 minute or 15 minute play or whatever that we would actually put on um, as a production, but only with four people. Right. So essentially okay. someone would direct it and then the other three would would act in it and help, you know, with the general production bef before we put it on and there right. was a girl in in the class that had written this this um short comedy one act piece called overpass and oh, okay. it, interestingly when we made it i actually it was my first ever go at acting at all i actually had to play nick the the driver the main character in it and then we had a, there was a girl who played laura who was who was the passenger stroke girlfriend and then the guy we pick up, the hitchhiker, Max, there was another guy. So um, that's we'd done that. We'd done that as part of the theatre programme, and it was there. And I thought, you know what? I need to do something that's, that's contained. I need to do something that I can literally shoot over two nights. Um, 
I only had like, as I said, 10 reels of film. So, you know, straight away I was thinking about shoot ratio and I could probably only make something about 15 minutes long. Right. So, um, what I did is I went and, and spoke to the girl that wrote this and I said, look, um, could I, could I buy your script off of you or, you know, would you give me permission to, 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 to adapt this into a film? And she, she, was actually quite flattered that I chose it and wanted to let me do it. So I took it and I had to adapt it slightly because in her version, uh, there was quite a bit of mention of Disney and I thought, Oh God, I don't want any of those problems. So (laughs) straight away I had to change things, but also why did you think that mentioning Disney, there would be, you know, I just wanted, I wanted something that if I made it and I could put it, in festivals and whatever without having any issues with cut because the disney thing was referring to a t-shirt which meant she had to have oh, mickey mouse right. on a t-shirt yeah. and i thought i don't even want to go there so i came up with something generic about daytona uh, racing okay. and all this sort of stuff oh, you didn't think that daytona racing might have no no we we double checked that it was gen- it was oh, okay. it was fairly generic and it wasn't an oh, actual okay official company or anything so uh we got around that issue so essentially i i i adapted this 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 um script slightly to uh to 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 work for film more and um basically i had a you know i had a dop that that was agreeing to 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 light it and work on it with me Uh, i had a crew which was lovely i mean i was spoiled on this i had uh okay i had to feed them all and stuff but you know i had a 30-man crew i had three you had a very big crew yeah i I was i was really surprised when i saw the yeah no i mean there's a lot of people i mean obviously there were people that you know didn't pull their weight or whatever on it but essentially i had all the departments with you, you know everybody doing a single job within that department so um how did you feel uh, how, that did you think you did well as a director working with a big crew well i mean i liked i mean i got away with a lot because i was the you know this is going to sound really arrogant now but you have to remember we're talking about we're talking about well scarily like 16 years ago this was right and it was so i was yeah. i was you know i was in my 20s back then um we were it was florida not la so it, it was still in florida and at the time, you know, you know, I, I was as a Brit, I was a little bit of a novelty to everyone, meaning, you know, they, they all everybody liked the accent and they'd laugh at my stupid British jokes and wit and wit and all this sort of stuff, <laughs> all of most of which was nicked from Blackadder anyway. But, um, oh, okay. <laughs> you know, but, uh, you, you, you know, people people kind of wanted to work with me. I'd been the first AD on a lot of stuff. So I'd I'd been a sort of leader if you like anyway with, with, with some of these guys and they were, they were all in in a year below. So, um, you you know, I was, I was one of the veterans. I did kind of work there as well. So I didn't get, I didn't get a lot of trouble actually. Most people, I mean, you know, it was about being organized and being on my game and I had to absolutely, you you, you know, take this by the horns and make it work. And, you, you know, yeah. Two two weeks wasn't a lot of prep time, to be honest. Um, I mean, it sounds like a luxury, maybe, but you, you, you know, the, the the beauty of it was I had I had people, I had resources that could go out and do this, and I obviously had access to all of these trucks and all of this equipment and everything as well. So I was on the right side of things, um, 
and uh yeah yeah we you know we we got into pre-production it was about finding locations uh it was about finding a vehicle um i had to go in see if i could borrow a, a you know a, a fairly generic looking vehicle i didn't need you know it had to be a four-door sedan type thing to make it work but you know it's about that uh, and very much plan everything. You know, I planned my shots. I did a store. I got an artist. One of the guys in the class was really good at drawing. So I sat down with him for a day and we created storyboards for everything, the entire film. Um, did you stick to the storyboards? Absolutely. You can, it's, it's weird. You, you almost look at the storyboards and it's like the graphic novel of Overpass, quite literally. I mean, yes, I, I absolutely um, this is this is why I'm quite a stickler about this with other filmmakers nowadays. You know, because I, I was shooting on film, I had to be absolutely prepared. I could not afford to keep fucking up and doing retakes and all this. I had a very small shoot ratio for this. Um, mm. So, and then of course I had to go through the casting process because I had to find actors. Can I just go back there for a second? Sorry, just to go back to you know. Being, I, I agree with you. Being prepared is is you have to be prepared. But uh, you you not weren't you open to sort of maybe the possibility of maybe changing stuff on the day if something else arised? Oh yeah, I mean, and I did because like um, there's a there's okay. a shot there's one shot in it that you know again it don't mean nothing now, but I was really proud of it at the time that I sort of saw when I was on set and I said oh I said to the DOP what I'd really like to do here is CR our uh, hitchhiker guy in the in the door mirror of the car and then i'd like to rack to the guy stood in front of the car and then rack focus back to him for his line well there there isn't a storyboard of that that was something that was kind of i saw when i was setting up on the day but oh okay well no it's just from the way you were talking it sounded like you were very uh sort of militant about right these are the storyboards. This is what we're shooting. We're not shooting anything. Well, else. yeah, I mean, it, it, it certainly wasn't up for committee. Um, you, you know, myself mm. and and um, the DOP uh, and the the, the 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 unit production manager. You know, we had lots of pre-production and sort of heads of department had quite a few meetings leading up to it. And I made sure that everybody had copies of storyboard shot lists. Everybody was on the page and understood. We did a proper location recce. So, again, because I worked for the college, I had access to a minivan, which I could basically throw all of the heads of department in the back of. And we could drive out to this overpass, which it literally was, you know, on a street, on a, you know, road. Mm. So I obviously had had to pay for police and permits and all sorts of fucking stuff, you know, to make that (laughs) safe and legal. But we went and visited it in the daytime so everybody could see in the light, you know, what I wanted to do. And 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 uh, because I chose to set this at night. Um, That was one of the big shocks that the writer found when she finally watched it was there was nothing in the script that said it was set at night. Um, It could have been set during the day because rainstorms happen in florida all of the time yeah yeah? and it it basically took place in a rainstorm hence why they had to you know think but but the thing is well i i i I knew the sort of the tricks you did to to make it look like a rainstorm yeah yeah yeah. and that would not have worked during the day no daylight those tricks would have just 
fallen apart you would have seen right through yeah well there was a couple of things obviously at night time you could get away with more in terms of what you see and don't see okay but also because of tonally what i wanted to do with it you know i'm not i'm not really a comedy this this was a comedy and i saw it as a sort of black comedy a dark comedy yeah yeah but that that's that's not really me i'm more of a you know thriller type guy you know hitchcock is is an influence (laughs) a go figure um but yeah, you know, so I, I wanted to make it at night. I wanted it to be dark. I wanted to have thunder and lightning. Um, you, you, you know, I, I wanted to sort of play on those sort of more spooky elements. Um, right. Plus, you're absolutely right. From a production point of view, even though night shoots can be difficult on, on cast and crew, um, it did mean that, you know, we had sort of more control over what what we would see or didn't wouldn't see in the dark and also of course the roads were quieter yeah. y- you know there were a number of, of production reasons as well why it was a good idea to make it at night. one of them is that you have the characters driving in pouring rain and of course uh, you can afford to actually have them driving in no. pouring rain no so, there were no rigs in this no. it was it was all simulated so you had to keep the car stationary so if it had been daylight you would have known that the car was stationary in, in darkness there's there wasn't any way to tell exactly exactly uh, and i mean apart we, we from tried the tricks. fact that your actor was uh doing a bit of over he was doing a bit of driving acting <laughs> you yeah. know what i mean where he's he, he's driving straight yet he keeps moving the steering wheel yeah yeah i mean um you, you know i mean i watch it now and you know in retrospect i mean bearing in mind this was the first thing i yes, did but yeah. Yeah. I cringe like mad because I think it's 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 too long. It, 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 it ended up long, being yes. about seventeen minutes long, which is way too long. I mean, everything I've done. Um, I did another film that was then fifteen, but the the last four films I've done, I've I've always tried to make ten minutes or less. Yeah. Yes. Uh, yeah. So that was a lesson learned. I mean, it's too long. It's it's too flabby. Um, yeah. And you know, I do I cringe at quite a lot of things during it. However. Um, I learnt an, a massive amount by doing this film, and that's yes. what it was about. Basically, it wasn't. I wasn't trying to create necessarily a, a masterpiece. I was trying to work with what I had available and and learn, you know, the craft through doing that. Um, so uh, yeah, I'm, I've just realised I've, I've gone on way too long answering a very simple question that you asked me <laughs> which i've totally forgot what it was <laughs> i forgot was about it? well i don't um, know but we but the thing is it's sort of gone into sort of the nuts and bolts of it and i've been able to ask questions as we've gone along but i have to say though for a, for a first short film i mean it's you know it wasn't too bad yeah I well mean, thank you yeah. i mean I, it, wasn't I, too, I had... it wasn't too bad i mean i i you know um I wasn't too. I thought the guy's accent. Uh, I don't know where he was from, Eastern Europe or something. Yeah, well, that was kind of the idea. You didn't really know where he was from, but it was he was just supposed to be a bit strange. I mean, I like I like the idea of it, and um, you know, and it it was it was a good concept. And I, you know, the fact that you shot in sixteen mil, it, it, you know, it looks good. Uh, it did look good. Uh, and as I say, you know you had sort of rain effects and stuff like that in there and you know you shot around that pretty well um the only thing i didn't think worked too well was the um 
the the point of view shot from Max, where you, you know where you, you see the 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 actor doing his driving acting, and the tail lights, yeah, which didn't quite, yeah, the the tail lights didn't quite work. Um, that was one of those. No, things. because it did it did make him look like they were tailgating a car. It did. It did. No, it, I didn't quite. <laughs> Especially the fact that he was the the main actor was not looking at the bloody road. Yeah. He kept looking back at Max and yeah. stuff. And well, the, the like... thing is, that's the other thing to sort of point out about how filmmaking's changed as well. And I'm not making excuses here, but this is true. Mm. You know, at the time we had a video tap. And for guys that don't know what that is, basically it was a little video camera that would sit on the side of the um, camera looking into the, basically the mirror where the, where you see what what the lens is picking up okay and back in the day these things were literally just really bad grainy black and white images that you'd get from it so That's in right. terms of vi- I've, I've done video assist yeah so, in yeah, terms of video yeah. assist my video assist was essentially like a a 12 inch black and white monitor crt type mon- monitor yeah and you know, obviously it didn't pick up the color red because it was black and white. Yeah. So things when you were looking through the actual what the camera was seeing. Um, yes. Shots like that. They were difficult to tell whether they were working or not, really. Um, and, you know, that was one of those things where when it came to the transfer and, and later the edit, it was one of those things where I was like, yeah, I didn't really fucking get what I wanted there. But you know, I had to go with it because I didn't really have any coverage of that because again, of of my, you know, shooting ratio, I couldn't afford to shoot the entire film, the entire 15 minutes (laughs) from every single angle. I could only do portions of it from certain angles. And obviously, you know, I wanted to make sure I couldn't really afford for the actors to fuck up. So uh, again, you know, I I did it more in bite-sized chunks so that, did they fuck up? No, they. They. I mean, you know, to to, to say a little bit about the actors. Um, again, we didn't have a lot of time to put out a big casting call for this. Um, uh, and I did see. I did go through a proper audition process and um, yeah. saw a number of actors. And it was really, it was really weird. I mean, the, the the main guy, the guy who played the character Nick, was a guy called Nathan Sears that had actually worked on a a previous um, film at Valencia uh, and was quite a nice chap and sort of pretty easy to get on with and reliable. And I thought, you know what? It's very much an everyman. It's a bit of a weedy boyfriend role, really. Probably had, yeah. hence why I was cast as it originally, right? And, and I, did, I obviously didn't want to be in the film. I wanted to just no. direct the yeah. film. So, um, so I got him to agree to do that. The girl was quite problematic. I saw a hell of a lot of um, you know, very, very, very attractive and whatever young actresses, but a lot of them, you know, couldn't really act and couldn't really do it. And it was really weird because the girl that I cast um, actually worked in a coffee bar on campus serving coffee. Right. Yeah. Okay. And I had no idea. In fact, it, I, you know, I've got to give credit to um, the production manager that I had on it. She went and was I guess putting out flyers and whatever to try and get people from the campus because there were obviously <laughs> there was that bit of acting that went on at the college as well to to yeah. try and UCF as well you know we we approached them for their acting uh, courses um 
to try and get someone. And she actually was the one who came back to me and said, oh, you know, the girl in the coffee bar, you know, the cute redhead, blah, blah, blah. And I said, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and she said, well, um, she she wouldn't mind giving it a whirl. She's done some acting. And I was like, really? And, you, you know, you, all I did was order a latte off this girl for bloody months, you know, and I hadn't even, yeah. I hadn't even yeah. thought of it. And I said, well, you know, bring her in and let's try her. And fuck me, you know, within within the first, suddenly it, it was it. I'd found my actress for this. She she just worked, you know, yeah, and and looked good with 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 the guy and all this. And then the character of Max was an interesting one because um, this guy, um, I'll shout out to him, Dave Conley. He was he was um, one of the guys. He was one of the older guys on on the on the filmmaking course at the time. But he was actually one of my he was in the same year as me and had gone through the, the program. And he actually came up to me and said, look, um, can I audition for this? And I was like, oh, right, okay, I didn't you know, know you were an actor. And he said, he said a thing that I absolutely agree with and have since concurred with myself is he said, well, you know, if, if we want to be filmmakers, we need to try acting at least once and we need to sort of understand acting and all this. And he said, look, please give, give me a go. I want to. I, I want to have a whirl at this. And so I did. I gave him a go. And, you, you know, regardless of, I mean, the accent was supposed to be weird and ambiguous. And, yeah. you know, he looked the part. He kind of pulled it off. And, and I was I was happy with him for it, to be honest. Um, yeah. So so that was a bit weird that I, you know, cast someone that, you know, I'd, I'd been, done a two-year course with as a, <laughs> as a behind-the-scenes guy. <laughs> Um, you know, in my first film, but, um, yeah. you, you know, I, I felt he worked and he got it and, and, you know, he was game for it. And again, I was all about wanting to su surround myself with people that had the sort of can do positive attitude because it was going to be two long nights, believe it or not. Yeah. Everybody thinks Florida, when they think of Florida, they think of it being really hot and humid. Let me tell you, we filmed this in I think it was the month of March in in ninety nine, and it right. was bloody freezing, absolutely <laughs> freezing. I mean, it was down below zero. You wouldn't you wouldn't think that of Florida, I know. But what is it with you, Keith, and night shoots? Because uh, I heard driven in, um, not driven insane. Uh, Fearview was the same. It was, in fact, Fearview. I mistakenly said in in the interview you did with me or whatever that I filmed it in March, but it wasn't. It was actually it was it was get this. It was over. Uh, valentine's weekend in february Ooh, um, jesus and, and again yeah that was a that was a cold <laughs> night shoot but uh yeah I, yeah I you could see that I, it was, you could see their breasts and yeah, everything. i don't know what it is about me and nighttime in cars but um <laughs> you, you, you know it, it, it does kind of i need i really need to do something different i guess <laughs> but <laughs> we'll get on to that but yes yeah, so in a nutshell that's that's what that was in terms of the production in terms of the post um yeah by the time this, this is why i was sort of getting to yeah um, well, the, with the, the music yeah by the time i got well okay i mean the the music is done by a really good friend of mine um uh who was actually my flatmate at the time in the states um rodrigo bermudas he's 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 costa rican um you, you know he's he's a very talented guy he's one of these guys he's highly intelligent um he he's a really good drummer he plays he's played for years in bands as a drummer and he's the sort of guy who used to piss me off you know he could he could pick up any sort of musical instrument and, and play uh, it. he's one of those it, yeah. yeah um who was on the course with me and of course 
you know, I needed a composer. He wanted to do the music. But in terms of resources, I mean, again, you know, things have moved on a lot with software and everything now. But at the time, he just had a, a keyboard, a synthesizer keyboard. Yeah. yeah. So we were kind of relatively limited in terms of processing power and output that this could do. Right. My brief to him on this was I wanted something. I mean, obviously, he wanted to do as much music as possible in this um right. i wanted something the direction that i taught, sort of talked to him about with this was i wanted something that had and i dare i say it i know it's it's cheesy and corny as hell to say this but i said i wanted to have a sort of hitchcockian feel on one hand and i did go there i'm afraid but i said yeah. that but i also said it needed to be slightly and again i hate this term but slightly quirky because it was a dark comedy, so I wanted him right. to try and. Okay. I wanted him to try and, like, for example, before, it's a shame he went more quirky than Hitchcock. Yeah. Well, before the the reveal um, of of Max the Hitchhiker, I wanted that to be quite tense. You know, I wanted that to be mm. real sort of horror movie stuff, and then lighten, you know, with his accent and with his reveal and all this sort of thing. And of course, we had the sort of bickering between them but you know rod, rod is rod's influences are he's quite old school um he's uh, obviously herman and whatever but very much you know he's of the john williams ilk where he likes um proper themes thematic stuff i mean we were talking i spoke to him not long ago and we were talking about the composers of now yeah the, the, yeah. the here and now um you, you, you know the 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 Michael Giacchino's, the people that still work in actual theme tunes rather than, you know, like John Williams does, like Goldsmith did. Um, oh, God. And, 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 and James, and James Horner. Horner, who sadly we lost this Passed week, away. which is very sad, very, very mm. sad and very tragic. But, you know, of that type. So, you, you know, Rod came up with a, you know, this theme that runs throughout it. And I knew I was going to have, because I wanted to give everybody credit. Uh, now, nowadays yeah. I tend to just put the title and then all the credits at the end. But with this, we were going to have long end credits anyway. So all the above the line stuff, I wanted to do a, um, a big credit sequence. And I wanted to show the journey and show the fact, you know, establish the world and where we were on, on the freeway and, that the thunderstorm yeah. was starting and all this sort of stuff. So he, he got to write a fairly big piece for that opening. Um, I didn't mind the opening. I just felt that um, there was just an overuse of the, of music in the film. Yeah. And I was just wondering if that was a conscious choice of, on your hand or if it was something that was, you know, maybe put upon you. Or... Well, I, th I think I said this once in a, um, in a podcast that I did with, with, with Neil Myers, who, who's a composer that I use on, 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 well, he's, he's done the last five films actually of mine. Um, yeah. Is, is it's the one part of the directing process. I think we said this a little bit on the Carpenter podcast as well. It's the one part that I feel that I, I absolutely have to, you know that I don't have the the creative control on so much at, because 
I'm not musical myself. I'm not a musician. I can't read music. Mm, I can't compose. I, know, I can't. Play but it's music. not about that, Keith. But, it's it's about how you use the music. It's where you put it, and it's the the decisions you make of whether to have music or not to have music. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of music in this. I agree. Yeah, um, yeah. Uh, it just felt that because because it's a uh, mostly it's a dialogue piece that to have this music underneath it all the time just didn't. I just it took away from the acting for me. It just, it just, it just, but I mean, I think it also, it's just kind of like that kind of, uh, I think it's just one of those things where a first filmmaker falls into that kind of trap where they have music and they have a score in for it and they go, we must use it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, when, when the lesson to be learned is not, you know, there are times and places to have music and not to yeah. have music. Yeah. I mean, it is, you know, obviously it's the last thing in the process essentially, but yeah. The other yeah. thing I, I will have to say, and even though I'm massively grateful of everybody that worked on this film, um, you, you know, way back then and, and out there, um, I had a lot of sound issues on this film. Okay, one of oh, one, okay. one of the things that I focused on heavily, as many first-time filmmakers do, was I focused massively on on the image and working with the director of photography for the camera moves and the lighting and you know all of this sort of stuff right yes what i yeah. what i kind of did with the sound department was you know they they'd been trained the same as me and everybody else in the class and i kind of trusted them to get on with the job um apparently there were some issues this was all done on a nagra um right recording yes. device. i remember nagras yeah um Apparently, there were some battery issues, even though they had loads of money for um, battery supplies and consumables and things of that nature. Um, when, it, when I got into the post-production, a lot of the sound was pretty terrible. Okay? Ooh, um, okay. And one of the things that, you know, people notice about this film um, is, you know, there is, there is some pretty awful looping in it. Uh, in places um, and you know the sound design is is not great I, I I haven't gone to the level of sound detail in this that I have with with um, films that I've done since so yeah um, a lot of Rod's music which you, you know I, I you know again con considering what he was working with and it is obviously very of the time the music um you, you know, it, it, I did. I think he did a fantastic job, and it did cover a lot of audio mistakes that we had. Which, again, like you said, was it is largely an audio, a dialogue-heavy piece of um, piece of uh, drama, anyway, or whatever. Um, so, uh, yeah, I did. Have, I did have some problems with with audio on this um, and sound sound on this in general. Um, the, the editing process, what happened there was shortly after I graduated, I managed to get an internship at uh, Chapman Leonard Studios, and uh, I worked for them, um, you know, basically prepping camera equipment uh, for shoots and, um, oh, okay. you know, uh, working, you know, cleaning lenses and cameras that were returned after shoots and things of that nature uh, which was very good experience and some of the guys I worked with there one of the things they had was they had an avid system 
which of course at the time was a oh, big okay. deal. So it was a very big deal. Yes. So I had my film processed and color timed at uh, Continental Labs, and then the actual edit and edit decision list was created uh, in 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 an Avid system, which which I had a guy who I worked with there called Hector Lopez um, work as my editor, but he was very much, you know, he was he was controlling the system and pretty much let me say you know, I want, I need a shot. I need this shot here, that, that shot. Bearing in mind that there wasn't a, a massive amount of footage in the first place. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah. So, so, so that, that process was, was still quite uh, new at the time. And, and I know we used pro tools, which again was quite new at the time for some of the, some of the sound, but yeah. the, the, the finished product, I was not, you know, I was very, I was happy with Rod's score and whatever, but the the sound in general, I was not particularly happy with. And and you know, that's one of the things I notice if I ever watch it now is is some of the sound in it is 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 poor, and some of the looping on it is is not very good. But again, it was it was part of the learning process, right? So yeah, I have to say, I didn't really notice any sort of those kind of problems maybe because i'm just watching it on youtube on my monitor right right uh, but it was there was nothing uh, grievous nothing that really jumped out to me so i think it's just a a case of you noticing it more than other people because you know what the the problems were and you've watched it every which way yeah yeah and as i said (laughs) the, the writer saw it and it was very it was a very different take on it. So even though it was absolutely, you know, it was 90% her script and et cetera, but it was a very different vision and a very different take on it. And it was quite funny because about a year, a year or two later, a year or so later, she adapted the, um, the short um, story or the short uh, script into a, a stage play, like a, a full hour long stage play of this, which I went to see. And, yeah. Oh my god! I mean, everything. It couldn't have been more chalk and cheese. It was so weird to see right. something that was the the same story and the same characters saying a lot of the same stuff, but totally different. I mean, I remember my, my poster for this, which I really should try and get on the uh, on the YouTube at some point. It's basically yeah. a fairly dark poster with a a map of Florida and the two characters and the car headlights, and it says. My, my, my tagline for it was things to avoid on a road trip rain roadkill relationships dot 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 right where her one <laughs> right. was a really bright sort of neon colored um poster where they were wearing hawaiian and disney shirts and whatever and it said uh, overpass a comedy about a guy two guys a girl and a gun <laughs> you know oh, and right. it, was, it, was, it was so different i mean it was it was it was quite interesting um but uh yeah i did i did of course go and see the uh the the, the play she had adapted of it um very different casting and and everything in a very different wardrobe and yeah a very different look all around um but but very entertaining you know very entertaining indeed so um yeah so just uh one question to Sort of yeah, up. we need to get onto your film. I feel <laughs> I know this, this, but um, so once you'd finished it and the writer had seen it, um, 
what did you do with it? Right. Well, probably not enough in, in hindsight. Um, mm. I mean, I, I entered it into the Florida Film Festival. And weirdly, yeah. weirdly, I, I didn't attend the screening because I was actually, uh, well, please, I was directing something else uh, when the screening Ooh. was going on. So I couldn't actually make what it. Were you, what, what, what were you uh, directing? This is, the, this is a whole other big story. But essentially, um, I did direct a feature film, which uh, sadly... Uh, never saw the light of day and that wasn't to do with me that was to do with the fact that I didn't own it and the producers um, decided not to finish it but that, that's another oh, that's another okay. long story oh okay um, Ooh, I can't wait to hear and, that and story. I was directing that at the time that this this was screened but it went into the Florida Film Festival and what I had done at the time was oh god it shows how, how old it is and how old I am <laughs> um, I had VHS copies of it produced for all the cast and crew so I, yes. I, I had a, bat, a massive batch <laughs> of them all with proper covers and everything made um, yeah. to, to give everyone um, uh, but to be honest, did I do a lot with it? Not really. Um, I entered it into a few festivals. The feedback was often that it was too long for many festivals. Um, yeah, yeah. You know, because it's pushing, you know, 17 minutes. So it's a 20 minute slot where they can normally get maybe two films in that yeah. slot. So that was something I learned from it, certainly. And you know, did I expect it to sort of be something that would do well as my first feature? Honestly, no. Um, for me, it was very much a let's learn my craft. Let's have a go at doing this. Um, you know, obviously, it, it's still the most expensive film that I've made to date because everything I've made since has been less than a thousand pounds. Um you know, shot over a day or two max. This one, yeah. obviously, I had the luxury of of some pre-production time. I had the luxury of a, a, a large crew, um, but yeah. it was expensive, not just because of that. It was expensive because, obviously, I had to get this process developed, color-timed, transferred, you, you, you know, and I had to buy the film stock in the first place. And, you, you know, that stuff's expensive. Plus, obviously... Yeah as opposed to maybe 10 or 15 mouths to feed, which I've done on my other short films, I had, you know, 30 plus mouths to feed on this film. So, you know, between the two things, this was the highest budget film. It probably costs, costed somewhere in the region of about, I don't know, maybe, maybe three, three grand overall. That's okay. dollars. So, you know, two, yeah. two, just over two two thousand pounds, which is which was obviously back then as well. So back in ninety nine, but um, yeah, yeah, I haven't I haven't obviously worked with that bigger budget or that big. Well, I, I have worked with that bigger crew since because when I did this feature film, I had a massive crew. But as I said, mm. uh, that that's never saw. That, yeah, that's another story, and that never saw the light of day. Sadly, so um, yeah, that was other lessons learned. So uh, so yes, Simon. So please tell me about. Uh, firepower <laughs> well what would you like to know well first of all um <laughs> yeah uh you know very interesting can you give me a little bit of first of all the like i did i waffled on about the backstory that sort of led up to this can you can you tell me about the genesis of this project why you decided to do it how you came up with it and and sort of what led to what is now the film okay um well after I finished uh, Panico, um, 
my goal was to direct a short film, but I, I didn't want to jump into it straight away. I just wanted uh, to get experience and work on other people's films. And also at the time I wasn't working, uh, so I needed to you know, find some money. And um, so I worked on a lot of other productions. And as, as I was doing that, I was you know thinking of ideas of what I could do and... Uh, and I, I remember one night having this dream where I saw two men sitting at a table and it was at a table with a, a light over over them like an old you know like a one of those old lampshades with a bulb very sort of film the wall mm-hmm. and just blackness around them and they're playing Russian roulette and that's sort of where the idea came from. And I sort of, um, I sort of, so I sort of wrote down a, a script. Now, at the time, I felt um, I wasn't very good at dialogue. I mean, back in '99, um, Tarantino was all the rage, and so mm-hmm. everybody, every short film that was being made, all had to do the Tarantino thing. And if it wasn't the Tarantino thing, they were doing the full stop. Uh, sorry. Lock, stock, and two smoke, uh, two smoking barrels thing. Yeah. So I didn't want to do that because I knew I was doing like a crime thriller, you know. And I, I felt that if I write dialogue for it, it would be very cliched, you know. Oi, what are you doing? Ooh, you know that kind of stuff, you know. Um, and also, of course, it would mean that I wouldn't have to worry about sync sound because at the time I had no idea what how I was going to do it because I couldn't afford 35 mil or 16 mil because I'd worked on these productions and, you know, you find out how much they're spending on it and I could never raise that kind of money because it was similar to how much money you spent on your short film. Yeah. There was no way I was going to find three grand or anything like that. And, so um, yeah, I spent a long time paying it off. I might add, <laughs> I kind of maxed out the credit card. So um, yeah, as their parents gave me a, a little bit of money to help me, but obviously, I had to find most of it. So yeah, <laughs> so I hear you. Yes, <laughs> yeah. So um, uh, early '99, uh, I worked on a few productions that I actually got paid for. So I put that money aside. And I decided to sort of jump in and make my uh, first film. Now, for me, this was going to be a test of whether, see, I could direct or not, if I could make a film. Because at the end of the day, I was just, I was very happy working on set, the most part. (laughs) As I discussed. See the previous podcast, uh, yeah. (laughs) Well, previous two podcasts. Um, You know, it, it... Working on set, it's the best of times or it's the worst of times. And so I'd set a date uh, to do the shoot, and then I started working on Cold Fish. So I was working on Cold Fish during the week, and then I would film this at the weekend. And it was probably the best thing I could do because I didn't have to concentrate on the film. I didn't have to sort of go, you know, get obsessed with what I was doing with the film at the weekend because I was working during the week. Yeah. And you do, you do get it. Or at least I find I do. We're, we're, I'm sure you find this when you're working on a project. Do you find that it's, uh, you know, if it's yours, if it's something you're making, do you find that you literally sort of think about it all of the time? 
Yeah. Of yeah. course. Yeah. And you should. I believe you, you should. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, when I'm, especially when I'm writing the scripts, uh, it's always sort of there. And, um, you know, you just sort of, you think of what people are going to say in scenarios and stuff. But then when you sit down to write, it can all change. No, absolutely. So, yeah, so I wrote a three page script. Uh, so, no dialogue. And I decided to shoot on Super 8 because I could get my hands on a Super 8 camera from a friend. And um, the cost of the film, um, I knew I could, you know, I could I could make it for that amount of money, because it was, um, I can't remember how many reels of Super 8 I bought. But, I mean, at £10 a go, I could get, uh, I think I must, I think I got eight reels. Yeah, I mean, hey, you're shooting on film at the end of the day, and it has a very you know, good and unique look. I mean, Super 8 yeah. has a very distinctive look, which, which you know, is one of the things that I think is really going for your film is 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 the actual look of it. Um, but also the thing that struck me with it, um, sorry, if I, actually, I might be jumping ahead a bit with this, so maybe I should can this till later. No, but no, I was no, going to say, no, go one ahead. of the things that struck me very much with the film, I mean, I want you to continue talking about the story, etc. But one of the things mm -hmm. I thought was extremely good uh, was the sound design. I think you did an absolutely yeah. amazing job. You know, what What I didn't do with, with Overpass, um, you know, music aside, because as I said, I love what Rod did and I'm not going to knock that. But, you know, sound design-wise, this your film works amazingly well and i'm not saying this just to sort of blow blow smoke up you or anything but it was one of the it was one of the <laughs> things that struck me it had its you know i knew i knew from the get go that it was it was super eight because of of the of the look of it but um yeah. you, you know what struck me uh apart from visually was 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 the fact that um you'd gone to a massive level of detail uh, on sound design, considering there was no dialogue as such, um, and you, you know, it's that old argument, isn't it, about sound is fifty percent of the experience because yes. everybody gets wound up about it being a visual medium, but it's also it's an audio visual medium, and you know, you've got the three elements to sound, you know, dialogue, sound effects, and music, which which as a, and in this case, you know, you really worked on the sound effects um massively so um so that's what struck me but anyway sorry carry on about the no story it's, and it's fine i'll talk whatever. about this uh, the sound design of it because a lot um so i knew there would be no dialogue but um i had the sound recordist there on set recording the atmos tracks so getting all the footsteps and then we did a lot of like the sound design there we did foley work brilliant so like things like punches and stuff we had like sandbags that we drop and you know, you get the sound of the gun scraping across the floor and stuff. And I actually had um, two soundtracks done because the first soundtrack was done by the editor. Um, I'm trying to think what his name is. Um, let me just quickly look this up. Um, oh, Mark Grant, uh, who did the editing for me. He originally did the uh, sound design for it as well. Uh coupled with the music and worked really well and then i worked with a sound designer called james berkeley years later and he loved the film and he said look can i can I have a go at this can i 
you know, because I, I think I can do something with it. I said, yeah, go ahead. Oh, right. So he kind of remastered it, did he? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Um, but, but kudos to your editor as well, because I mm. think it's quite um, neatly and tightly edited. And, uh, you know, it's 10 minutes long. And um, yeah, but, you know, it works. So, you know, I don't know how involved you were in the editing process with this, but um uh, well, I'd, I'd go because um, he lived on like right on the outskirts of London. I mean, on the other side, the M25. So wow, okay. I would have to drive up there on weekends and uh, I'd, I, he'd show me what he'd done and I sort of give him notes and then he'd just go back and, and do it. So, yeah, but it was um, Mark I'd worked with on his own films. He was a, a filmmaker himself. So and he had premiere. Oh, right. So is it? Yeah. In fact, I noticed you had the Adobe logo at the end. Yes. So yeah, it was done yeah. in Premiere, yeah. was it? Okay. It was done in Premiere. All right. Um, it was, I have to say, um, shooting on Super 8, it uh, was the Tri-X uh, brand and I was shooting in low light. Now, I did have a light meter, but I knew how low the lights were. And so um, I took the film to be processed and then I had to take it straight to be telecine. So I never saw a frame. So uh, all I knew was that um, I could have had like a big reel of black. So you were there bricking it. No yeah. <laughs> oh, boy, was I bricking it until, until I took that mini DV tape ran to the editors to have a look at, Yeah, you know, and find and for such a relief to see there was actually something there. Okay, there was a couple of shots that I lost because there was just, it was just too dark. Right. But then, um, you know the effect when he gets knocked out and you see the lights. Mm -hmm. That was just a, a happy accident. Oh right. Okay. Uh, it was that was a, a dark shot I couldn't use, but you know, but it was such a nice effect. I could use it for this. Hey, you get happy accidents every once in a while. I get it. I mean, um, you, you know, uh, this is the thing again, you know, modern filmmakers don't know they're born with, with, with this in the fact that you can just pop a card out of a, uh, out of a camera and plug it into your MacBook and straight away, you know, you, you can see everything you've done and it's like, <laughs> what yeah, the yeah. fuck, you know, uh, <laughs> like with, with, with overpass. Absolutely. I was, you know, I, I, I did actually was able to do a color timing of it after it was processed and stuff. But, um, yeah. you, you, you know, you, you have no idea whether these 10 reels of, of what you've got taped up and sent off have even exposed, you know, or have been. Over well, I don't know. I mean, looking at the lighting and everything you had there, I, I wouldn't have thought that would have been a problem. Yeah, but I mean, it could it could have been fucked up, you know. It might have been, but that wouldn't have been from the lighting side. That would probably be more the processors. Yeah, or the fact that the person who who unbagged it or what you know unreeled it yeah. might not have, uh, you know, might not. Yeah, have... they might have. They might have opened it in the in the light. Exactly. You know? I mean, there were all sorts That's of things. True. But um... but I, I don't think there was a fear that all you were going to get was a reel of black. No, <laughs> it all came out. In fact, I you know I pretty much had to use all of it because uh, I shot it that tightly. There was one shot I decided not to use was storyboarded and whatever and i filmed it but i took it out because i thought it, it wasn't so effective was i had a shot of him of max taking the the beretta the pistol out of yeah. the out of his backpack 
Um, oh, okay. But I sort of thought to myself, well, that kind of gives it away before we want to yeah. be with the character. So Curses, yeah. for the shock. So um, so I that was the only the only thing that ended up on the cutting room floor in inverted commas. But, uh, uh, but yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I shot it this in such a way that there, you know, uh, apart from the couple of shots that didn't expose, I just had to use everything. Right. You know, there, there was there was no room for sort of. There was no sort of lee- leeway at all. It's literally, I just sh- shot it. But it looks good. Uh, it looks good. Yeah. I mean, yeah. y- y- you know. Well, it's, again, it's a, uh, a very small crew, and I was my own DOP because I thought, I knew that because I was shooting it over, I f- we shot it over two weekends, uh, four nights in total, and they were only half nights, so we always f- finished about um, 10 or 11 o'clock. And I had access to this uh, warehouse, which I used again for another film for post-its. And oh, yeah. you could just see how much it had changed from from the, the time between those two films. Yeah. I mean, it was six years between those films and they filled it full of shelving. When Before, when we filmed in there for Firepower, it was all sort of um, it's where they used to keep all the, the vans and machinery and stuff. So did you know the people then that, that own that warehouse? Well, um my dad was a, a caretaker oh, I see. Uh, for a, a, an engineering company called Matt Nicholas. And uh, we lived there. So, yeah, we had access to, um, you know, those facilities um, all the time we were living there. I mean, I used the offices there. I'd used it for um, for blocks. They were their offices. So, um, yeah. All oh, right. Okay. Interestingly, I, I need a warehouse and an office for the next thing I want to do. But hey, let, we'll take that offline. <laughs> but uh, so, 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 tell me more. Tell me more. Yes, certainly. Um, well, the the casting. Um, I I didn't want to go through a massive casting because I'd seen I, I'd worked with people. Um, a friend of mine, Chris Fly. No, not Chris Fly. Chris Watson. He did a, a film. And he showed me his um, bags of CVs that he got for the, the post. And uh, he was saying that Royal Mail had stopped delivering because they were just delivering bags full of CVs. Bloody hell. Right. Yeah. Uh, he did a, he put a posting up on PCR. Right. And uh, he got a lot of response. Uh, but he let me look through them um, just to find the leading actor. And I came up with three picks and one of the guys had worked with on another short film called Two Sides, which was this uh, World War One film that we shot in um, in Sussex. Oh, great place. It's um, they actually it, it. This place is used as a location loads of times. And and the old boy who who um, runs it, who owns the land. He's a he's a big uh, war fanatic. He he has tanks and jeeps and everything. And I remember him driving over the hill once in a jeep, stopping by us. So we were lock, walking along this sort of country uh, road, and he was saying, you, "You know, when I was telling Steven Spielberg about you know this and that, and he was filming." I said, "Steven Spielberg, yeah, what did he film here?" And he said, "Empire of the Sun." Oh right. And you know the you know the bit when they're at at the beginning where they're at the big party. And he throws the glider, and it flies over over that hill mm-hmm. or that little, and you see the uh, Japanese army or 
Well, no, it's the Chinese army, isn't it? Because it's Hong Kong. Um, that was filmed there. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. And there's there's been other films filmed there as well. Uh, and unfortunately, that actor was not available. Uh, so my second choice was David Hastings. And I, you know, I spoke to him on the phone and he was really enthusiastic and stuff. And uh, he sort of, he had worked uh, on uh, First Night, the uh, Richard Gere Yeah, with Sean Connery, yes. With Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Yeah. Excalibur. Excalibur. <laughs> <laughs> Pull it out of the stone, yes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so, yeah, and I... I David was great. He was very enthusiastic. He actually, um, on the first day of the shoot, the call time was 6 p.m. And he actually turned up at the house at 6 a.m. Ah, okay. And he didn't realize his mistake until he got there. And I, he told me later, because he didn't knock at the door, he went back home. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> because usually call times are like 6 in the morning or something like that. So. Yeah. But yeah, he was he was just really enthusiastic to do it. Yeah. Um, Military time works good. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so um, the uh, the other main actor in it, uh, Andrew Lorden. Yeah. Um, I, now I met him, uh, I, 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 what it was is um, every Thursday night, we I'd go to the Panico evening, you know, and meet up with people. And once once you're usually there for an hour, and then you go on and you drink somewhere else. And we ended up at the arcade on Warren Street. And um, of course, this this was leading up to um, Phantom Menace, and so at that time we had high hopes for Episode One. <laughs> yes. Yeah, <laughs> whole other podcast. Yes, indeed. Exactly. Um, so they had the Star Wars arcade game, the one where you can do the um, X-wing attack on the Death Star, and then it was, uh, you were a snow speeder, and then the final one was the speeder bike on Endor. All oh, right, okay. I think it was by Atari. I seem to remember that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. And there was this big guy playing it, and he was wearing a Star Wars crew jacket that said Episode One on it. So. We were like, wow. I, I have one of those. Yes. You <laughs> yeah. <do>. Uh, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so we all got talking to him, and, you know, it was a very affable guy, and, you know, he was talking about the film and, you know, his experience. And we were all lapping it up because we're all big Star Wars fans and we're sort of new to filmmaking and stuff, and we just, you know, we didn't realize what a flop it was going to be. Well, well, not a flop, but, you know, it wasn't going to be the film that we hoped it would be. And um, I remember he, he he left and I thought, damn, he'd be, he'd be good in my film. So I had to sort of get build the courage up and run after him. And I sort of kept, ran up to him and he goes, oh, oh, could you read my script? <laughs> I'm doing a short film. I think you'd be great for it. And he sort of, I took it and I wrote my number on there and sort of I thought okay and then I, I, I sort of walked away and went oh man I thought you know at least I can say I did it I sort of went up to somebody and said would you be in my film uh, and then he sort of he phoned two days later and he was really enthusiastic and um, yeah it sort of took me about 15 years and I knew him for 15 years after that right yeah could never could shake him. No, absolutely. I mean, I, I know, I know, obviously Andrew and know of his story and whatever. <laughs> but what about 
the the other guy Hastings uh, guy did, has he gone on to do anything since right well, just out of interest well this is the thing uh after i finished the film i tried to get in touch with him a couple of years later because uh when i did the film blots i actually wanted to do it as kind of like a firepower reunion okay and uh i could not find david at all I sort of I kept in touch with him a short while after the film, but um, is he on IMDb or anything? Do we know if he's? He is, but um, I'm looking at him now. Um, I'm afraid his his credits sort of end at 2003. So, all oh, right, I don't know. Maybe he went and got a life, eh? Hey? <laughs> <laughs> well, this is this is has happened to a lot of people. So, yeah, but um, uh. The other actors uh, who appear in it, uh, well, James K is my cousin. Oh, well, your 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 two thugs that you had yes, in it, your two, two heavies. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, so he's he's my cousin. He's you know he was in the army and he's a bouncer and he's you know he's 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 actually live he's actually lived that you know he used to work uh, at the door at Bagley's right in Kings Cross. So there was God man the stories he told me about being at the door there in the end it was just getting too dangerous i mean people were being shot oh my god okay <laughs> yeah uh, so yeah he sort of started sort of about being a bouncer at the doors in banbury right right and <laughs> uh, reg um reg was a an actor and sound recordist and i he was actually i i he was my um sort of film partner at panico we did the um the one take the film. one you talked about yeah yes yeah, yeah. okay and uh, reg had actually had sort of acted in a few films and uh he was in gorillas in the mist um but the thing is he is you don't really see his face he's the shadow on the wall that kills sigourney weaver oh wow you know you see the machete come down and that's him okay and I think he worked in uh, Scandal as well. Okay, cool. So I, mean, I think there's a lot of British actors who did. Yeah, I mean, I mean, your actors, you know, I thought they in this film they all worked. You know, they they mm. they, they yeah. the cast was fine. What what did you have in terms of crew? Well, crew wise, um, I had um, I I had Chris Fly come on uh, to do a couple of. I think he did like two nights of first day doing and after that it was it was clear that it just didn't need it um uh so i had reg sort of uh, doubling up as actor and sound recordist and then um i had uh, a couple of friends of mine help me out that would be um uh, paul o'connell and kevin masterson they're two friends from school who you know they were sort of following my um um, adventures in filmmaking and sort of wanted to give it a go and after trying it once you know, that was it I think Paul just went outside and smoked lots of cigarettes so just to keep the continuity of the cigarettes up right I remember that was his chief job was smoking <laughs> which uh, you know he, he does anyway so he's quite happy with that fair enough what did you do I mean you, you mentioned sound what what did you record on for your sound think we recorded onto mini disc mm -hmm. so um i i borrowed some sound equipment uh from a friend of mine 
as well as borrowing the Super 8 camera. Yeah, I, I know I know around that time, because obviously, mm. you know, Nagra had been around for years, and I know that around that sort of late 90s, there was sort of a transition over to, to DAT at the time, wasn't yeah. there? Yeah. Um, oh, wait a minute, that was what it was. It was that. Yeah. Yes, that. Yeah, it was that tapes, because I remember now, because I've, I've still got those tapes. And yeah, as we, we as I said, we tried to record as much sound as possible because there was no dialogue, mm -hmm. so I didn't have to worry about sync sound and stuff. So we always, and also the microphone could be wherever it wanted to be as long as it wasn't in shot. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So now, I mean, um, you know, like I said, it, it, the fact that you sort of recorded those those sounds and the atmos and whatever on set, um, I think really sort of. Um, paid off because you, mm. you, you know the, the the sound design on it is is really good but it doesn't it doesn't feel like something you just went and got out of a some sort of no. generic sound library and 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 stuck no. on the, on the front it actually no. you know it actually feels like um the the real props and whatever well i i mean the the third piece of the puzzle that you know really helped sell the film was the music now um i was I have to say I've been really lucky with the composers I've worked with and uh, Max Somerset was the original, was my first composer I worked with. Now, um, he was recommended to me by by Rich. Uh, he he knew him from the um, church he went to in Wilston and uh, Max would play the um, organ there every every Sunday. Well, he told me it was an organ. It was more of an electronic organ. <laughs> but the the amazing thing that Max did was he sat down and he watched the film and he played the music to the film frame by frame. Wow. Okay. And so when we got the finished um, music cues, um, it would be, we'd have the timings for it as well. It wasn't like a sound file, but. You know, we'd have all the timings and stuff and, you know, and it just, it, it was a, a great score. It was just a really good score. And um, I worked with Max a couple more times afterwards, but um, his, his passions sort of turned another way. He, um, he, he became a magician. Oh, right. Okay. It was something that he, he did when he was a kid and he was very good at it and he sort of fell back into it. And he, he actually had quite a, a good career at it um he actually he's actually had quite a, a couple of tv shows um he had his own show on sky one called max magic and on cbbc he um there was a show called the sorcerer's apprentice and he was the sorcerer wow okay yeah he's a, a very sort of eccentric guy he's you know he, he he comes from money and he's like wearing um well i did a a TV pilot with him called Trick or Street, where he was wearing a sort of bright yellow um, suit top, <laughs> <laughs> you know, blazer. And uh, for his shows, he has like a top hat and, you know, looking very like an, an old, old gent, you know. An old sort. dapper man. Okay. That's it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. With his top hat. So, um, yeah. Um, so, yeah, sort of, Getting it shown was kind of hard because of the the sort of grainy nature of it. I think a lot of places didn't didn't have it shown, but places I did get shown, they, it, it went really well. Um, 
Well, actually, a question about that before the, mm-hmm. you know, ov- obviously, as we know, one of the sort of traits, if you like, of um, Super 8 is 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 the fact that, you know, 8mm film it is, but by definition, uh, grainy, okay? But um, did, did you, I mean, in, in the post-production process and, you know, editing in, in, in Premiere and whatever, you know, how much image manipulation did you do um, during that? Was there, was there a lot of things done in post or changed in the, in the grading of it or anything? No. No? No, we, no well. What you see is what you get, literally, yeah? It is, because in, back in 99, um, Premiere couldn't do half the things it can do now. Yeah, I mean, they hadn't uh, developed After no. Effects or anything at that, no. that early, no. but yeah. Um, I, I spoke to a few people about trying to reduce the grain, and they all came back with sort of... It would take ages to render, and, and nobody was willing to do that for free. Yeah, uh, to be honest, I think the grain works for it, though. I actually mm. think... Um, you, you you know it it works for what you were trying to well I, I what I think you were trying to to get across with it I think um you know the aesthetic of it is that it actually works quite well to be perfectly yeah. honest yeah yeah it, it it worked very well um, but it, it it came out of the fact of it was what I could afford yes no of course as it always does yeah trust yeah I know I know that uh, I know that feeling well. <laughs> so <laughs> when you have to self-fund, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But um, I do remember this uh, one screen I had of it at the Lux Cinema, okay, which is now uh, a restaurant where they they filmed a scene for that uh, Ridley Scott film, um, The Counselor. Oh right, you know the one where uh, the bit where Brad Brad Pitt's talking about um, being garroted. Oh yeah, whatever the yeah that that's that bar there. And I had my film shown there. It was it was one of these nights where you it was like a an open mic night where you you get in touch with them and you say right I have a film on the show and they go fine just as long as it's not porn and it's not um, you know and it, we can show it in a then that's fine. Um, so was this before you had the sound redone? Then was this with the yes yes this is with the original sound. and and how did I mean I, I'm I'm almost I'd be curious to see the previous version of it just to see um how different uh it is with the with the you know with the different sound design but uh because mm. i said that's something i thought really really worked well on this um yeah it was the thing well, i just i just to say it the the screening went well it went really well and i was up against uh films that were had funding you know from the london film council right right was it like, okay. Oh no, it was UK Film Council. UK so. Film Council, yeah, yeah, yeah. okay. Um, and um, I have to say, um, oh god, uh, it, it, some of it was just really awful. Um, there was a, a yeah, just really awful, but um, it, it, it went down really well. And of course, afterwards, you have to come up and sort of do a Q and A with the um, with the audience. And I remember this one guy saying to me, "Your film, it's about suicide." I'm like, okay, <laughs> right. Uh, you have to explain it to me. And it's like, well, you know, you're taking the gun in your hand and you're putting it to your head and you're pulling the trigger and you don't. And it's like, well, no, that's not what it's about, mate. It's about a guy who's addicted to gambling and he's given a loaded gun and what does he do? He sticks it to his head and he pulls the trigger. 
and then you know he has every chance to walk away that's not like he, he he doesn't have to do it but you know more money falls onto the table and you know he can't help himself yeah he has to go back he has to it take is, the risk it is literally russian roulette isn't it yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> so um well the, the other question i always get asked about is the double ending yeah well, i i kind of read that as there was the thing that he sort of imagined in his head and then there was what actually happened but i don't yeah. was that what you were going for with that that's oh yeah like no a, no that's that there's it's um, he like he like uh, daydreams well, for a while or whatever and then yeah 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 that's right yeah. yeah um but the thing was i i got the idea from that from watching brazil right terry gilliam yeah okay yes yeah. and um yeah, well, it was because uh, coming out of Panico and their connection to the Python. Oh, of course. Yeah. yeah, yeah, absolutely. And Julian Doyle working on Brazil, it was kind of like a big influence on me at the time. And so, yeah, I thought, you know, just I thought that would, you know, be something interesting and different about the film. And um, it just works great. I mean, I haven't really sort of tried anything like that since, but it, it just seemed to it just seemed to fit into that story. And what about, I mean, what else did, did you do much else with it in terms of screenings and festivals or did you just sort of kind of crack on and do the next thing? I mean, what was, what was, what did you, what did you take out of it? I think. Right. Well, I, well, I, what I took out of it was I, I had, I had a screening of it at Panico and it went down really well. And that was the point where I went, okay, I can make films. I'm a filmmaker. You've done it, absolutely. I'd done it, and I I was good at it, and I knew I was good at it now. And I thought, yeah, I'm now gonna go on and make more. I'm gonna try and do less. And what happened in '99 was I actually started working in a cinema because of because um, when you're under 25 with a doll, uh, you have six months, <laughs> and after those six months, they then you have to go on all kinds of courses and stuff and i know i've been there in the <laughs> so yeah. um i found a job at the cinema right. in bond wood so i worked there for a year and in that time i i entered the film into quite a lot of film festivals and uh it didn't get shown and it was just you know and and so it was just in the end it was you know for me it's it's a film that it just sort of proved to me that I can make films and you know I as soon as YouTube came along I put it up on YouTube and you know in its in its new state with this new sort of sound design but um, yeah I sort of um, I didn't make another short film until Good Cop Dead Cop and that wasn't until sort of two thousand one two thousand two. No, yeah, it was only a couple was, of years later then. Yeah, yeah, because yeah, working at the cinema sort of took up a lot of my time. And also things were changing, what with um, everybody going to mini-DV. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, I shot, um, I did a TV pilot in between sort of those two short films and uh, which with Max Somerset, which was called Trickle Street. And uh, we actually did film um, one trick with... Uh, Sienna Miller before she was famous. Oh wow! Okay, yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was it was up on my YouTube channel for quite a while before uh, I was asked to take it down by Max. Right. Yeah. 
but uh, that's that's a different story. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> but yeah, that was um, yeah for me. As I say, firepower was just uh, my proving ground, just to see if I could do it. Well, you know, you did it. it as I said, mm. I thought it. I hadn't. I mean, again, a good thing with doing this is you know it's making us. Well, it's weird. We've known each other a few years now, but we're we're finding out new stuff about each other as filmmakers, mm. you know, um, yeah. through, through the course of this. And, uh, you know, I, I've seen quite a few of your short films, but um, I hadn't actually seen this one until today. And, uh, you, yeah. know, you know, I thought it worked, uh, you know, as, as a first film uh, and as something shot on film, um, you know, it worked really well. And as I said, the thing that, that really impressed me with it was um, – I thought the uh, you know the the use of sound and 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 the sound design that you you'd gone through with this um, really set it above because you, you know the trouble with most film first time filmmakers films mine included is is often the production sound or the or the uh, like you said the foley and 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 you know the, the uh, ADR or any other sound design that's done. Um, you know, apart from the music, uh, yeah. Often, well, often it was one suffers. of those things. I, I, yeah, it was one of those things that the the films I did get to see that I'd worked on. You sort of you could you could see that because they were just concentrating too much on the image. Because I remember some of the shoots where they spent so much time on the lighting, and then when it came to the sound, it's like right, right, get in now, 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 now. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, as as my production management um, uh, teacher said, I, I still remember this. Uh, she said, "Look, you know." Often the audience might not notice a camera wobble or something too much, but if 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 the sound is is bad or pops for a second or whatever, we'll notice that way more. You know, ironically, mm. I mean, okay, I know really it all needs to be good, but you know, sound is definitely um, you know it's definitely fifty percent of the experience, and um, yeah. it's 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 incredibly important um, to to do it well. I'll have it done well. So, yeah. And I think that's a good place to end this. It is. So, yes. It is. So, Keith, um, how can people find well, you? Well, if people want to see these films, uh, they are available on YouTube. Um, you simply have to type in British Isles, which is E-Y-L-E-S, as in my surname. And um, as I said, six short films are there for your viewing pleasure or not. <laughs> uh yes you can see firepower and and all the other short films i've made at um independentrunnings.com and our youtube channel independent runnings uh, also you can follow this podcast on facebook at um movie heaven movie hell uh also we're on twitter at movie heaven hell and uh if you're a fan of the show please do leave us a rating on itunes and uh also maybe leave us a review or two so um well thank you for sharing that with us uh keith oh and likewise um very very interesting you know if nothing else if nobody else listens to it i'm i'm finding it interesting (laughs) so and as i said we've recorded our memoirs here for when we're rich and famous obviously yes (laughs) (laughs) i'll see you next time yes See you at the movies.